Good afternoon and welcome to Find Your Sparkle with Jen, where you'll be influenced, inspired, and impacted. I'm your host, Jennifer Stewart, owner of Jazz Potential and creator of Find Your Sparkle. And today I am excited to have with me my new friend, John Farrell, all the way from the UK. And I want to just really emphasize how excited I am to have John here. Now, he grew up in New Zealand, left about 30 years ago to go on an exploration of sailing. Now, me living in Nova Scotia, being surrounded by the water, I certainly can relate to how amazing it would be to be on the water and sailing. You've sailed with some amazing individuals, some crazy sailboats, and then you went to powerboats. So I want to just get a sense of, you know, who you are. So tell us a little bit, give us a little bit about you, John, and growing up in New Zealand and what made you have that bite to just basically take off and head out to the sea? Well, thank you for inviting me, Jennifer. This is, yeah, I'd be really excited about this too, um, having a chat to you and your listeners. So I, you know, I'm from New Zealand and for all of you, probably all of you that don't know where New Zealand is, it's, it's way past everywhere else. So everybody in New Zealand <laughs> always wants to get out and, and go and see the world because New Zealand's a huge country with 3 million people, but there's quite a good balance. There's 3 million people, so it's 5 million people now. There's 40 million cattle and 100 million hectares of, acre, uh, of wine. So they've got the balance what the, right. What did you say, that last part? 100,000 hectares of wine. Oh, so the, the <laughs> I wine love it. is in much more abundance. But in New Zealand, everyone does uh, their OE, so overseas experience. Everybody gets out of the country for a couple of years and works overseas. Um, okay. Mostly in Europe and England. And, and that, that has a huge dynamic on the country. So New Zealand is, they're on their third woman prime minister. So it's third out of four. Um, but the whole dynamic of the country, I don't know if you, you, you saw um, the United Nations meeting just before Christmas when Donald Trump was still in power actually earlier last year. And the New Zealand prime minister brought her baby into the, into the chamber and nursed it in yes. the UN. So it, it, it's cre it creates quite a different dynamic in New Zealand because most of the population has been overseas. So yeah, I, I just made the mistake of normally people go overseas for two years. I never quite went back 32 years on. <laughs> that is, a, that's amazing. So what kept you away for so long? And I know that, I mean, I love the water. I'm definitely a water person, so I can relate to that. But I also know that being on the water is not always easy, especially if you're on big sailing vessels and racing and I mean, there's a lot of danger and excitement and it's, it's not all, you know, the things that we see on TV. And I liked in some of, you know, some of the things that you had included, you know, it's, it's not all that ritzy and glam and easy things that you see on TV. Talk a little bit about what kept you there and some of that exciting thing. I think, you know, we can go through life and it can have its highs and lows, sort of peaks and troughs. Being in the professional yachting field, it's, it's peaks and troughs. It's, there's never a dull day. You, you work, um, in, in the high season, so um, I spent a lot of time out of Florida, Fort Lauderdale. Um, you're in the Caribbean. You're working. You don't have a day off. You work seven days a week um, for three, four months at a time. But mm -hmm. I never, in in 10, 12, 15 years of being on yachting, and these these are yachts with eighteen crew. They you know, ten to eighteen crew. They're not one or two people. And all that time, there's only one person that actually was was too ill to get out of bed. So although you're working at that level, flat out, and, and they're not, you, know, you don't do eight-hour days, you do 20-hour days sometimes, that there's mm -hmm. too much excitement going on to, uh, to actually have a day off. Right. Um, you know, my, my home Grand Prix is the Monaco Grand Prix. Um, at one stage there, we used to have, I used to have a, a lock-up in Fort Lauderdale. I, I mean, I'm not American, I, I can't live there, but I had a lock-up because I was traveling in so much. Um, okay. And, and I've, I've lived in, I spent a lot of time in California, in San Diego, Florida, um, years and years in France, um, uh, in, in Southeast Asia, and I've sailed out of Australia, the Caribbean, I've been all through the Caribbean multiple times. So it's, it's too exciting. But, you know, with the highs and the lows, and they are extreme, um, it, mm -hmm. it gets pretty exhausting. Um, it, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've worked and, and sat down with some incredible people and had some incredible moments. I remember one time I was on a boat in, uh, um, in San Juan in Santo Domingo and we had a cardinal on the boat and, and a lot of the crew on that particular boat was about six Filipinos and they're quite Christian. 
So he did a service, and of course, these guys are used to their local priests, but this was a cardinal from the Vatican. Wow. Oh, I got goosebumps. Oh, my goodness. That's a big deal. That's not the story. I was like, I, I need to, I need to, to be there because my, my heritage is originally Christian, but I don't sort of practice so much now. So we're on the on the back of the boat, about fifteen of us. And oh shit, sorry, can I swing? Behind the cardinal, <laughs> on the clouds, this cross superimposed itself on the clouds behind it. <laughs> wow! Wow! That's when you. That's when you know something was meant to be, right? That there's oh, a lot more, he- a lot more going on than what you said, what the naked eye sees. That's for sure. So, how did it's... that impact that moment? Well, he carried on. He didn't know because he was facing us, and we're right all just the other like, way, right? So he he's like, oh, they really, you know, sort of, he was really getting into this. It was yeah, it was. Like, <laughs> That's funny. Um, it was it was incredible. So yeah, so when things like that happen, I know I could I could go on for hours telling you stories about sailing with some of the. But the people that own these boats are not the rich people that we've heard about. Those people are the next step. But Donald Trump sort of owned a boat, and I, and I worked a little bit with him on his boat many years ago. And it, it, he's probably one of the more known ones, but most of these people are so rich you don't know about. And they just want, they, they just don't know what's going on. They, they don't talk to normal people. So you sit down and have dinner with them, and it's, it's incredible. Um, they just have no idea what, what's happening in the world. When you say that, what do, what do you mean that they don't have a clue what's going on in the world? Do you mean they're absolutely oblivious? Like they're they're so separated from you know going to the shop and buying a bottle of milk or um, okay. going to fill the car up with with petrol or um, you know am I going to vote left wing or right wing conservatives or, or Tories or, or what do you have in the states? And um, so yeah, they, they don't have the the, the ideas. So I, I love these people have an incredible amount of power in the world because of their wealth because of their connections but they don't really know how you and me function on a day-to-day basis and and, mm-hmm. and so you have some incredible chats to them um i was talking to one guy he's um he, he's he's got an english passport he's not english um but he was quite proud of himself he was sitting at the table um and we were talking about it in the in the australians have a sense of humor and the australian waiter was there and the australian um waiters um pa actually showed in the newspaper and he was in the top 250 richest people in England. And he was oh my quite goodness. proud of this house. He's on the list. Like, oh, I'm on the list in, the, in, the, in this Australian guy, in the best Australian accent. He sort of goes, well, now you're on the list. They're now going to start taking notice of how much money you've got. Mm. And he's like, oh, shit. Oh, Oops. okay. <laughs> Oops. Yes. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Wow. So, That's incredible. When you think back, some of these conversations with you know with this this group of people that most of us don't know and don't socialize with what things can you say what have you learned from them that you could use for your own benefit and maybe things that you know that you thought oh my goodness that was something that I never thought about in if in being in that kind of category I guess the biggest thing, and I think I remember this every every couple of months or so, is that uh, we all think I'd, I'd like lots of money. I'd love to win the lottery. And I look at these people and that's the first thing I know. They are not happy. Right. And oh, my God. Every single, you, every single one of them. They just. They, is that true? Oh, gosh, John, that like that is one of those things that, you know, that just that just gets me right here because we think that the end for a lot of our problems. Right. We think that if we have money, when we have this money, then all of our problems are going to go away. So how did that impact you to feel like you're with all these people who, you know, by the by the status of the world, look like they have everything. But yet the most important part is missing. I, I had a great time because I used to think, you know, you've spent 200 million, 400 million dollars on your yacht and you're on it for a couple of weeks. I live on it. I get to wake up. I always remember waking up in the morning and I had this big window. Um, it's a good meter across beside my bed that I used to look out at, and it looked across Monte Carlo. That was yeah. my view. This view was yes. stuck in the middle of London with skyscrapers and smog and, and, and salt on the roads. And I'm thinking, you paid all the money, and I get to enjoy it. <laughs> That's or, kind of a sweet deal. <laughs> oh, it, it was. I, another guy, he, he panicking, getting all everybody together to fly across to Antigua to the Caribbean to spend one week on the boat. And we just done two weeks, a lovely, beautiful sail across there. He was on for a week, and then we sat in the Caribbean for a month because he had to go back to work. I'm thinking, why would I want all that money when I could don't have to, I can enjoy it? 
it, it, I think that they have different problems. And it yes. always makes me think I wouldn't mind the money, but I would be very careful about what I was doing and who I had around me. And I, and I think, and in some of the courses I've done recently with Peter Sage, his courses are very much about the peer group and the people mm-hmm. that we keep around us influence how, how our outlook on life. And if you're in the wrong peer group, you, you need to find another one that's going to empower you. And these guys, and not, not just men, actually, women as well, um, with that much money, the people around them were all employees. Right. And they were all fighting for the, for the sort of the, the accolades of being the, the boss's right-hand person. Um, and, and when he wasn't there, they would wield the power. Whereas when the, the, the main um, guy was there, he, he, was, he just wanted to be, talk to everybody or just wanted to sort of get on with everybody because he didn't have that relationship as a rule. So I, I think, yeah, I, I'd like the money, but I'd be very careful about what I did with it and, and making sure I kept the right peer group around me. Peer groups are so important today, I think. Um, oh, my goodness, with they are. COVID, with, with people starting to get time to think about life, the universe and everything. And, and how am I going to change that? And if I'm, one of the quotes I remember is that you know, if, you, if you have a drug user and you take them out and you get them off the, the, the drug and, and they recover, if they go back into an environment where there's drug users, they will invariably end up as drug users again. But to get Absolutely. out of your environment, to, to actually get out of your environment is really not easy to do. No, it's, no, it's, we, it has I think, to be quite major. Oh, my goodness. I guess it, it definitely is. And we sometimes I think that we forget that you know, easy to say, here's a plan and here's what you need to do, but to actually put it into practice and to implement it sometimes can be a lot more challenging than what we think. We're going to have a quick break and we'll be right back. You're listening to CIOE 97.5 FM. Welcome back to Find Your Sparkle with Jen and welcome back, John. Now, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about how, you know, some of the people that we're hanging around with, the rich and the elite were kind of not really happy inside that money didn't really make all of that difference. Now, can you talk a little bit about how that really impacted you to make some different choices and some changes in your life? I mean, you can, yachting is quite a hard industry to stay in. Working with, with those people, traveling to the places, I met my wife on one of the boats. Um, and as I said, I could go on with the stories about it. But at the end of the day, after 15 years, it's like, oh, okay, this is, this is just going to kill me. It's just going to get too much. There's too much excitement. There's too many highs and lows. And so I stopped with my wife, we, we, we finished on the boats um, after traveling through Latin and Central America, came back to, and we stayed in, we dropped into England. So my wife's English. And so okay. one day she goes, oh, we're going, we're going into London for a couple of days to do this seminar. And I'm like, okay, all right, cool. And this guy gets on stage and he's bouncing around and there's lights and there's 8,000 of us. And then he goes, okay, right, we're going to, we're going to meditate now. And then we're going to go out and do a firewalk. Luckily she had a hold of me because I was off. <laughs> I was like, you <laughs> tell me I was going to do a firewalk. What's the hundred percent sure fun. what the firewalk was? So, <laughs> so yeah, um, that was a that was a big change. Getting out from um, being in that sort of world where Monte Carlo, Florida, Miami, the Caribbean, and doing a firewalk in London with Tony Robbins, um, <laughs> and that 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 sort of inspired me down that route to to look at what he was doing and and do my NLP, my NLP. Um, practitioners and mastery and I realized that NLP has a quite a bit of um, control you're, you're working with another person to change their language to change your language and I was really lucky I was doing it in Somerset and we did a, a conference and this this guy turned up and he happened to be from New Zealand and this is a oh. this is a guy David David Grove he's he, he was he's died unfortunately he, he was a renowned psychotherapist He's a genius, recognized in the, in the industry as, as a genius. He did a lot of work with autism in the 80s and 90s and uh, people with PTSD and, and abuse. Mm-hmm. And he realized that the unconscious uh, has systems running and, and we, we, to communicate, we drop from the unconscious into the conscious and then we, we, we use words. And he mm-hmm. realized that to talk, to work with um, uh, clients with traumas, he had to directly work with their unconscious. And this was the complete dichotomy of NLP. So the work that I do now 
is very much about me having as limited impact, so limited that I can do sessions where the client doesn't speak. I just mm. ask a series of a half a dozen simple questions and only their words. And they ideally they'll work themselves to a hypnotic self-hypnotic state. This isn't hypnosis, where they're working with the unconscious that comes up. And that, and that was a real eye-opener for me. And it's really powerful work that I do now. Um, so that was a, that was quite a change from, from Yachting to actually working with coaching with clients. I co-facilitate sometimes with a horse. So the horse actually does the coaching session with me. Obviously, we have to be in a big oh. arena for that. Can you talk a little bit about that? And I just also want to mention that NLP, for anyone who isn't familiar with it, is neuro-linguistic programming. Um, but can you talk a little bit about that? I find that very fascinating with the horse and the think, arena. And, and Well, what it is, is the, the, the questions I use, it's called clean language. So if anybody's interested, cleanlanguage.co.uk is the, is the predominant site for clean language. Um, and what it is, is it's, it's the client dealing with their own subconscious. So the things that come up for them, themselves, they're working on. And, and if I'm getting it right, I drop the questions in when their unconscious is ready for. Obviously, okay. if they stop and they re refer to me for the next question, then that's not clean because then I'm part of it. When I'm doing it in an arena, so with, with coaching, um, limiting beliefs, anything like this, I have to be careful because I can go quite deep. I can deal with, with, with traumas. Um, in the arena, when we're, when we're coaching, when we're looking at limiting beliefs, the client's working through the process themselves. Now, the horse just walks around and eats grass. But the horse is 400 pounds if, if, if uh, sort of, it doesn't have an influence, as, as we would, as, as just the words that I'm using influence your responses, you influence me, just our presence. The horse doesn't have any words to communicate. So when it does something, that's, it becomes uh, an archetype. It becomes a a metaphor for the whole point of the session and oh. the clients that I've worked with they they years later um they can, yeah I, I remember doing this with, I think his name was John but and, and we did some stuff but the horse <laughs> did this but of course what happens when the horse so the first the, the, the couple of times the first um good example of it is this woman was working with her her goals so she had them out in front of her um on the ground so we, we used different spaces and she, she got this stuff and, and I knew what she had to do. She, like in a timeline, she had to step into her future. She had to step into what she needed to do. Now, mm. I could have said that and that's not unclean and, 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 and that is a coaching technique, but timeline therapy, that sort of thing. At the moment, when she's sort of on that edge of in her head, what, what should I do? The horse just came up behind her and pushed, didn't, didn't bang into it, just nudged it, just enough to put it off balance. Wow. Now, the Whoa. effect of that is exactly. That, and that, I got that's, chills. It's, it's quite challenging for me as a facilitator because, facilitator because when do I ask my next question? I, 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 could, wait, right. I could wait an hour yes. for her to process through what's just happened because... It isn't me, the person in the white coat, facilitating pushing her or asking her a question. It's actually it's a horse, and the horse, well, the horse doesn't know anything. It's a horse, and it's so powerful um, because of the archetype it takes on. The other time it happened, the, the, um, similar situation. The woman was sort of mapping out her future and, and the different angles she could go. And we were on it in the arena, and we looked in front of us over many miles of plain and then there were some mountains in the distance and she was just sort of moving this stuff around how how she thought it could go what she could do sort of the, the resources she had in place but a lot of it was visionary sort of stuff and it's on pieces of paper on the ground in front of her um and we're into it she's just working through it working through this and it's sort of we've been doing it for a couple of hours just building to a point and at the right moment because the horse knows when the horse just walked through the middle of it to the end of the arena and looked at the mountains in the distance <laughs> wow if you want confirmation of something then you are never going to get better confirmation than something like that that's so true so talking and that just reminded me of you know signs a lot of us a lot of us ask for you know ask for and, and to receive some signs to see if we're on the right track. For me, that is like a huge a confirmation. You can't get any bigger of a sign for that. Now, can you talk the a little bit about sign. how- I don't do anything with the horse. I, I haven't led the horse or instructed the horse. It, right. it does itself. So you, you, you ask for a sign and both of those women, yeah. well, they weren't actually asking for the sign. That's what they wanted. 
and that's what the horse mm -hmm. did. So it, it, for me, there's no better example of the fact that there is this communication, unconscious communication that's going on where the horse did what needed to be done without mm -hmm. direction. It's all, it's all energy. Just it's Absolutely. Just, it's fascinating, and I love, I know that some people are a little afraid of energy and this, you know, when they don't know and they can't see. Can you, have you run into... I never talk about energy. Can... I, I, okay. I don't, so I don't normally talk about energy. This is just the horses in the arena. It's eating grass. Just okay. The horse do what it does. Um, it's just, and, and that, and, yeah, you can talk about, you know, as coaches, we don't talk about techniques. We just do it. And, I, mm -hmm. and that's all I would say. We're just going to see what the horse does and, and just do what you do. And so you don't talk about the 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 the, the, the actual actions, the actual process okay. going on. So whatever they you. take from what the horse did is, is what they take. Right. Yeah. Why it did you. it? Why it did it? Could be the energy, but that's besides the point as far as they're concerned. Right. The horse did. Absolutely what it did that's a really good point i love that because it certainly takes away anything that would be i guess of the unknown and full for people when you think back about the ripple effect i know that you and i both love serving people we both want to make a difference in the world we both want to help people to awaken to their true selves what does the future look for you and and you know what about that ripple effect i know that you know we never know what that ripple effect can be and how far reaching it can be I know you've had some experience where you've got to have a little bit of a taste of that. And how does that help you to propel you forward? I, I, as coaches, as energy workers, it's any of, whenever you're serving, you, you never see that, that second ripple effect. But as you just said, and I was really lucky, I, I arrived in, in Myanmar, Burma, 10 years ago, just a month before they had the first election uh, in two generations, since 63. Uh, and... The, the army party actually got into power, but um, Tan Sien was the, was the leader of the party that was voted in. Now it's a bit of a sort of a, a dubious democratic election, but they, they got elected and he did a huge amount. I mean, he, he bought, um, he bought uh, Barack Obama was there, um, Hillary Clinton went to Myanmar at the time in the over those 10 years. And the country just took off from two generations of being completely closed down in a military dictatorship. And it exploded, and we arrived there. I actually sailed the boat in. I'm the only person, the only foreigner to sail the boat up the Yangon River since the war. And the Yangon River is a long river. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So we were there right Holy back moly. at the start. And what my job was to do was to train local guys to work on, on these yachts. And so I realized that, okay, English, they, they have to speak English, but I realized that they're going to be out of their country. And for me, one of the big things about leaving home was was it changes your perspective of the world. I, I've worked with I've worked with lots of Americans in America and outside America. I've worked with French, Italian, English, Australians. I mean, it, it, 12 years, 14, 13 years in, in Asia. So I've worked lots of different places, and it's really hard culturally to jump from one culture to the next. Now these guys that I was working with, uh, having grown up in a, in, a, in a dictatorship, I was going to put them on boats overseas. And so it was very social what I was doing, as well as the physical training, the technical training of the boat, the engineering, the sailing, navigation, all that sort of stuff, how these guys could learn to cook on a boat. Um, but what, what happened because of the socializing part was we would do all sorts of things. We did a, my, my wife used to run a big bookstore. We did a big um, book uh, launch um, with different authors from around the country, from within the country, from outside the country that had written about me and my, and Song Suu Kyi was there. I mean, she, she is the, everybody's heard of Song Suu Kyi. So to have her there, and these guys are, these guys, I mean, they did, they lived in tin huts. And okay. they got to actually escort her and, and, and meet this icon that they, a lot of them hadn't even seen movie footage of it. They'd seen photos. I'm just going to interject for one second, John, because we're, we're okay. running out of time. But I just wanted to say, is there, because I'd love to continue this conversation for an added <laughs> bonus section. But could you just could you maybe sum up some how that ripple effect of the impact that you had to be able to train all of these people, how that impacted you, and and then we'll sum up and we can continue this conversation. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um. So, so what what I was doing there in Myanmar, I was meeting the wider family, and I saw the effect on the guys who were training, their siblings, their parents, their grandparents, and and I think. In my experience, that's unique where I get to see the ripple effect. You know, when we're a coach sitting in England or America, we don't see that ripple effect. We, we have a client, but they go home and they, they change the language, they change their, their, their attitude. And I think 
for me today with what's happening in the world, this is, it's not even key. It's, it's the only way forward that we can really, that, that the world can pull itself out of the problems it's in because the old normal is well gone. I mean, nobody even knows what the old normal is. And what's the new normal? Well, nobody knows right. what that is Absolutely. either. And it's, up to, mm -hmm. it's up to us to form what we want. And, and the impact that we can have as coaches working at that level, um, whether it's energy workers or hypnotist or NLP practitioners, we all have different sort of specialities in different areas, but we can have this effect and, and reach that tipping point where a population can actually take on a new norm that's going to move the world forward, a population forward. You know, we can talk about the environment, and that's just one part of it. There's lots of different aspects that come in into to actually basically finding out who your neighbor is because we don't as it's so, know who our neighbor is it's you know what that's a really valid point i want to thank you so much john for being here today this has been a really fascinating conversation you're listening to cioe 97.5 fm and remember to go out and do something that makes you sparkle today and every single day Bye for now, friends. Welcome to the bonus section with John. And I am so excited to be able to continue this conversation because I really feel like we really didn't get through everything that we wanted to get through. So before we finished up with Find Your Sparkle with Jen, we were talking about the ripple effect. Now, I would love to hear a little bit more of what we didn't get to talk about in the show. So can you share a little bit more about that ripple effect, how it really impacted you and your wife and how that sort of has moved you forward? There's so many different aspects. I, th I, I was just thinking then, it's the, it's the problem with leaving home, leaving New Zealand 30 years ago, everything's different. The world's, the world's a fantastic place. Um, and I haven't been stuck anywhere. No, I, I, I just started my book. Um, I'm writing a book. I, I started it in March. And the first paragraph is, I'm writing this book, I'm starting this book in the middle of a coup, of a coup, and it actually starts in the middle of a coup. 30 years ago, I was sailing through Port-au-Prince down in the Caribbean there. Um, and there was a coup, in Port-au-Prince is a coup all the time, twice a year. So the world's such an exciting place. I mean, I, we could talk for hours on different, different aspects of if my learning. And I think that's something that I learned very early on in my life is that I never really stopped going to school in my whole life. And I'm, I'm only just a little no. bit shy of 60. I spent my, every year going to some, some class somewhere, whether it was Tony Robbins or learning French or learning how to navigate or getting my qualification to drive 3000 ton yachts around the world. Um, and I'm right. I'm still in the middle of training right now. Um, so I think that's one of the things I learned. And I think my time in Myanmar was was never stop learning. <laughs> seminal. Well, it, it was it, it was that, that, I, it was me learning, but in Myanmar because you basically have sort of a blank sheet. There are two two decades, uh, sorry, two generations in isolation, literally in isolation. They 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 really have no idea. And the things that I learned, I, I'm from New Zealand. If you know anything about New Zealand, it's about rugby. So. Rugby's a little bit like yes. the NFL, but oh we don't goodness. use padding. We, we don't use padding. But no. the thing about rugby is <laughs> the it's social. It's a the haka. Yes. They, haka, they, that's it. <laughs> they, I even know that, though. <laughs> they've done it a couple of times in America. Um, the thing about rugby <laughs> is it's social. And I had an opportunity. There was a, there was a big development happening in Yangon, and I was running the... Um, the, the recreational side of it. So we have swimming pools and shops and um, uh, and um, coffee shops, supermarkets, but we had two sports fields. So we started a rugby a rugby team. And uh, way back at the start there, sort of in the, in the first couple of years in Myanmar, there was nothing to do. There was one restaurant. Um, there was, Yangon City is 9 million people. It's not small, but Myanmar is not, it's not classified as third world. Oh. It's a it's a LDC, the lowest common. Uh, I can't remember what it is. It, the UN doesn't classify it as third world. It aspires to be third world. So they have, they have nothing. So we've got these wow. two sports fields, and we started the rugby. And you think you know, you to start sports in a new country, and we used to have a hundred people turn up for practice. Holy and it went from there. And of course, we were trying to bring the locals in. Now the locals they don't do sports. I mean, this is a country where 
school education is with the, with the monasteries. So they, they would come out. Of course, the ball was a funny shape. It's not round. They, they understand football. Everybody follows the English premiership. Um, so this ball doesn't bounce properly. And then, then they had to run and kick and throw and catch. And, and then all these skills, and, and just something as simple as that, they, they, that was a whole massive learning curve for Wow. Um, and and some, of the, some of the results of that, we had one guy, he actually applied to a scholarship in Japan at one of the universities. And obviously, we all try to get out of Myanmar to go to university somewhere else because the education system's not so great. And I said, look, at the bottom of your, at the bottom of your CV for this university, put down that you play rugby, you go to Japan. And it's like, Japan? I don't understand. And he gets there, he gets over there, he goes to the interview, and he rings me up and he says, well, I sat down and, and they said, oh, this is your CV. And, and he goes, hey, yes, yes. You play rugby. <laughs> the whole interview was about playing rugby. And he spent... Oh, my golly. Muslim, he spent four years in Japan. Scholarship. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So, that's amazing. And, and, and because... That's a huge ripple guys, effect. Well, yeah, because these guys go to sea. So he went to Japan. I have guys on yachts now in the Mediterranean. <clears throat> I, I, I'm in contact with their families back at home, back in, in Myanmar. So I, I get to see the results of that because I'm interacting with them. I'm, you know, they're, they're learning, they're picking up things. And then because Myanmar is, is been devoid of foreigners for so long, whether Asians or, or Westerners, um, mm -hmm. they're just on this massive, huge learning curve. They, they're, they're at that unconscious and confidence stage. They don't know what they don't know. Right. And I, I, I went to, I used to run a, for a couple of years down there, I was running a, a a 60 meter riverboat so we used to go from Mandalay to Bagan um it, it's only it's only a couple of days well it's only 100 miles but we used to stretch it out to a couple of days um and I had 40 crew on that boat tonight so I go in there and I've got the the women the three women on the front desk and I said to them right I'm, I'm the director here but my job is to teach you to take my job mm -hmm. and they didn't understand it, wow. took, it took me a couple of days of getting to the cost of them. I was there because only because they couldn't do my job, but they needed to do my job as soon as possible. Right. Absolutely. Nobody, they didn't understand that that was an option. And I'm like, I'm wow. not special. I, I, I don't I don't have any any fantastic gifts. I just have more education in this particular market because I'm used to foreign guests coming in. Um, so it's things like that, and, and when they when they when they when they get those sort of things coming, or, or the other thing that I, I would always do with the guys that I was training was I'd, I'd get them to ask why, ask a question, mm. and and they, they wouldn't. A, wow, it's a it's a Europe it's sorry it's an Asian thing, but in Myanmar because of the education system they 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 learn by rote so they copy. The teacher writes on the board and they write down. And when they get to matriculation at the end of high school, um, depending on how well they can word perfectly match what the teacher's written on the board will, will dictate what they study at university. So if they're oh. really good at copying, they become doctors. If they're really shit, they become lawyers. What they want to do is irrelevant. It's just <laughs> so, so they don't ask questions. So, so and, and, and these guys, and, and, and that was that was really amazing. I, I used to send the guys overseas for um, to get some experience on these boats. So I sent this guy, it was only to Phuket from, from Yangon, so it was only three hours by flight, so it's not that far. Um, and it's supposed to be three months. He was there for four years. Wow. The, owner, wow. the owners, the, the captain loved him. And so, so he could come home every every six months, and it was great. And he used to come back to the company we worked with, which was a merchant shipping company, and he would get two months holiday. And they'd say, "Oh, you're not going to get paid." No, no, I'm being paid. Like, but you're on holiday. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. I'm on paid holiday. So they would come back with all this stuff, and of course, you know, he was getting paid um, probably fifteen hundred US dollars a month, which is not not great on a yacht, but for Asia it is. The average wage. Right. The average wage in Myanmar is about $45 a month now. Wow. So when he comes back, Whoa. the impact he can have. So, so Huge. It, 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 Huge. Well, it, 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 I had to actually work to training with them. So there's technical yeah. training, you know, how to cook, how to sail, that sort of thing. But it was also 
how, how to actually look after what they were earning because they well, come back in. Absolutely. Um, and we forget about that. I mean, these are, you know, these are the basic things that people have to learn that we don't, we, we forget about, but especially from going from absolutely having nothing to have, I mean, yeah. it would be very, it, it would be scary. It would be, it could be very dangerous. It could be a lot of absolutely. things, but that's a critical, important, imp very important part absolutely. to make sure that they, they know how. And I think I was so lucky in Myanmar because I could see it. Right. Come back. That's I was good. quite lucky. Yeah. I came back to England and, and we didn't do lockdown because England came out of lockdown just after we got back. But I can see the, the mental health issues. They, they literally, you can see it in people's face. In the West, we, we hide this a lot more. Mm -hmm. So in, in, in Myanmar, I, I saw it because it was so extreme. You know, $50 a month to $1,500 a month. Right. So That's I could huge. see it. I could see the effect. We don't see effects in the West because we, we're, we're all very sort of, you know, we go home and we close the front door and nobody knows what happens behind the door. Yes. Um, but you, you, know, you can see it. You can, just, you can just see what's happening. You know, the, the stresses and strains of, of working from home, you know, if you don't have the best relationship with your partner, if you're worried about your job, if, if you work in the hospitality, the tourism industry, uh, and, and nothing's really being, being said about it. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's one of those things where what it's brought for me today is I'm not going to see it as much because we hide it more, but I need to actually step up a bit more. Mm -hmm. and actually what does that mean? What does that mean for you? I, 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 communication is really important. Now, if you go back to what I was saying there before about uh, clean language, mm -hmm. clean language is, is um, this sort of using two ears and one mouth, listening twice as much as you speak or speaking last. Is uh, Lipman says, uh, it's it's very much about listening and understanding, and, and then when you start to do that, you you start to hear what else is going on for people. I quite often say to coaches, you know, the the, the, the there's importance in the silence. The information is in the silence between the questions. It absolutely. And I, is. I, I I ask. Well, we used to do seven day uh, courses on the work that I do with clean language. Um, and I asked the question of other coaches, how long do you leave? How do you measure that to sort of between the questions? And, and some coaches, if they watch and count 20 minutes or two minutes, uh, other coaches look at the client and when the client refers to them, then they ask the next question. And I know, I'm, I know that I'm the best coach I can be when I ask the client the question before they ask me for it, consciously. Okay. I'm asking yes. them the question, unconsciously so the average for a coach is two three four five minutes my average on these courses is 30 minutes wow i can see that's, that i really i can see that that's the average wow, wow. We go that can hours. be hard that's that can be hard for people it's a very uncomfortable <sighs> sitting in that coaches. right absolutely absolutely it's it, it takes a little while, but when you when you have someone that's actually talking and you're actively listening to them, you're, you're paying attention, you're not sort of thinking, what am I going to say next? Um, they get a chance to, to sort of start communicating. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the number one skill for coaches, for, for, in my opinion, for coaches, is to actually really listen. And, Absolutely. And, 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 and that, that opens the communication up. And then you pick up on the little things the clients say. You're not thinking about the next question you're going to ask. You're thinking about what they're going to say. You're thinking about what they're saying, and you're asking questions about what they're saying. And body language. I mean, like you were saying, body language says a heck of a lot about what's going on. Sometimes it's in, in, in direct conflict with actually what the words are coming out of our mouth. And Absolutely. I know that NL, NLP is definitely helpful for that. Yeah. How do you, what kind of techniques are you using to kind of really think, okay, you know, they're struggling with this, like their body language is not matching their words. How can you help them to sort of get back on track? Or is that part of that silence? I, I, you... I, I, I very seldom even get that far where we have that dichotomy between the spoken okay. word and, and the unconscious. Because as I said, what happens is the unconscious is, is trying to work something out. It, it has a problem limiting belief. It, something's coming up for it. And then we change it into words and we try to talk. And, and you and me speak English as a first language. 
and we communicate about 90 to 80 to 90% of the time. There's so much assumptions that I'm doing uh, that I'm making in what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and working in, in Myanmar or working in, in foreign countries where English isn't the first language, you start to pick up a lot more on the unconscious. So, right. and, and, and I do a lot of training in recognizing things that are coming up for the client. And in, in if the client, if there's a, if the, the unconscious really has a, a problem, um, there'll be lots of indicators. It won't just mm-hmm. be a sort of a one movement. There'll be lots of stuff going on. But the real art for me, and, and, and I do a lot of self-training to get myself to a level where I can park my ego, I can put aside my, my, my stuff, if you like, and recognize what's coming up for the client. And that's when I can ask questions of the unconscious, mm-hmm. of the body language. For me, the words get in the way. You know, we communicate with words just so that we can actually communicate on, on some level. Yes. But as I said, it takes me a little while to get to know a client, but I can do them in silence because then the, the client doesn't feel that they have to explain to me. Right. I don't, I don't I have no agenda. I have no... I have no hang-ups on what they're saying. It's it's them working with their stuff that's coming up, mm-hmm. and with them. Um, so, so example, we did a stopping smoking is, is pretty easy, and we did it in front of the university group, about two hundred students. So we said, well, well, there's six six facilitators. We'll do six people who want to stop smoking, um, and everybody else did it under under sixty seconds, which is normal, and under sixty seconds because. Smoking is invariably the presenting issue. It's not the problem. The system, the unconscious, has got something, a limiting belief, a trauma, a significant event. And the only way that the unconscious can deal with it is to smoke. And right. we think that it's the smoking we've got to stop, or the overeating, or the, the, the negative behavior, or the limiting belief. And that's just all, just, that's all, that's all the, the mist, the fog that the mm-hmm. unconscious puts up that we physically see. So we have to be very careful that, that with the client, what's coming up for them isn't, isn't really the problem. And then a lot of things will deal with the smoking. And that doesn't help because then the, the, the unconscious, the person goes back to smoking or they go back to another habit, an unhealthy right. habit. The client that I worked with, I, I could tell 40, 30 seconds in, this is not going to work because... The, I want to stop smoking. Everything else about it was saying it's something else. And, and, and after about 90 seconds, I said, I think we should, we should stop this now because it's not going to work and we should take this off stage and deal with it. And it was actually the fear of, um, the fear of being in confined spaces. So the way she dealt with that was to smoke. The fear uh-huh. of confined spaces being locked under the stairs as a child, as, as a young kitty, that's the problem. That's what right? I had to and- deal with. The smoking. And that's what we we forget about that that there's some other there's something else there. Absolutely, Absolutely. it's a, either fact, it's either an event or or we're in the environment. So if we live in a house and everybody smokes, it becomes a habit that we just we don't even notice. Mm-hmm. And, and and working with David Grove, um, he, he his work was so he dealt with trauma um, clients that had PTSD or, or abuse or something like that. Um, and in my work, and I work predominantly with sports teams, sports individuals, I reckon about 30% have had trauma, significant traumas in their lives. Um, and I, I've been told that's actually relatively low, which is really quite sad. Very sad. Um, but what David was saying, you have that group, but we've all had significant events. So before we're five, six years old, our minds are still, um, are still developing and evolving. So we're very much in, in the, the alpha range we're still very much in the dream state when we're two three six months old mm-hmm. we can't make decisions we can't problem solve we can't decide right or wrong we have very few habits built up there's the fear of falling there's a the fear of loud noises right and something happens and the mind that the mind recognizes is, is it good or bad and the example i give is you're in the crib at six months old and the curtain brushes against the side of the crib is it is it safe or not safe if it's not mm. safe, that's a significant emotional event. Now, in itself, it's not, that's not, it's not going to affect us. But what happens is a week later, a month later, five years later, something else happens. The mind doesn't find anything new. It looks around for what it knows. And, and, and that period on, something happens. It looks like, oh, it's similar to that. It puts a layer on it. 
Something else happens later in life and the mind, the the, the unconscious is looking around and it's looking for patterns and it puts something else on that and we have an onion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Significant events that have come up and we all have those significant events. David's, in our work show, there was about four to six significant events that have shaped who we are individually. Mm with the work that I do with clean language and, and what evolved into emergent knowledge, um, was going back to that kernel, that, that first event. So mm-hmm. with a client, um, and this is why it takes seven days, um, we would have all these other events to come up. We don't, you don't re-traumatize the client. The unconscious invariably won't let you. You respect them and park them and go to the next one, the next one, the next one. And when you get to the kernel, the real significant event, and you resolve that curtain brushing against the crib. No longer in those post events have any relevance, any emotional mm-hmm. hook. Right. So those Makes a lot of significant sense. emotional events, they, they just collapse and the person changes. Now, when a person is in a, a serious car accident or a serious traumatic event, they go cold. They lose energy. And that energy is is part of it is, is the emo- in, in the emotion that holds that event. So we don't remember right. the event that happened objectively, we remember it subjectively. Our emotion hooks in, it comes up for us, and, and our unconscious starts to subjectively put together an idea of what happened, and it was traumatic and it was bad, and of course lots of people just PTSD, um, vets from the war, abuse um, clients, mm-hmm. they, they just cannot remember the event. The unconscious is not going to re-traumatise but it's taken part of their energy. What we found was, and this was measured in, in, in universities, was that when we went back to this original kernel and, and resolved that crib brushing against the, the curtain brushing against the crib, they would heat up as all these other events resolve themselves automatically. Right. The emotions unhook themselves and the energy came back into the person, and you could see them heat up, flush. You could physically measure a heart um, change, Amazing. a temperature change. And it, it, it really had some incredible events for people, just changing their whole perspectives. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I've worked with, with clients from all sorts of places. I, I, it did bring up some interesting things working with sports people. So we have values. And as a coach, we work a lot on values. We have away from values and towards values. Values, things that we aspire to, things that we like to get, things that mm-hmm. we hold. But we also have away from values, things that I don't want. I don't want to be poor. Right. The away from values are generally what, what drives people. This is what pushes them, what I don't want. Those mm-hmm. high flyers, those elite people, say maybe Richard Branson, driven by his towards values, this is what he wants to do. Maybe even Elon Musk, he wants to get to a better place. He wants right. the earth to be in a better, the population to be in a better place. The problem is that we're mostly, most of us are, are actually pushed our motivators motivators are what we don't want so true and that has a complete different energy and a complete different it's, outcome and a way to get there the way the map that everything you bring in everything i mean that's just it's just it's, you attract you know it's, it, it's totally key so i feel and i think that we're we're totally on the same page with this i feel like part of my responsibility as as me being you know, a coach and an energy practitioner is to help to awaken people and help people to understand and to help guide people and show people that there is a different way. So when we think about resilience, and you and I've talked about resilience in in a group that we were with, and how important that is, what do you see for people's resilience and changing for the future for this, our new normal, whatever that is? You keep asking a simple question. It's going to take me 30 minutes to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> if you could do well, like, a, I know that's a, I know it's a lot, a but I think it's really, it's really, it's really important though, because there's so much, you know, Absolutely. I mean, we can't, we can't change everything to today or tomorrow, but you know, every day we can make some strides. So if we can make a step, yes. Right. Every, every single day we can, we can make a difference and we can, we can improve. What, what is it, you know, if you were to sum up, you know, in five minutes, like five minutes, does that help? I <laughs> know <laughs> the rain, it rain everything in. Well, one of the many things I did years ago was to learn them, was to study on 
systemic thinking, but um, spiral dynamics and integral theory. And spiral dynamics is, 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 is values levels and how we evolve as a person, as an individual, as a company, as a group, as a country, we, we, we move up levels. Um, right. And these are value, values levels as we mature as a society. And we've sort of got to that point now where, where COVID, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of bad stuff with COVID, but maybe this is what the population of the world needed. You know, capitalism. A wake up call. And it's a massive, or it's, 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 it's bigger than a wake up call. It's, you know, capitalism, in, in, the idea of capitalism is great, but where it's got us, it's, it's destroying everything. Um, it's destroying the environment. That the challenge that we've got with, with the resilience is that the COVID coming along, it's shown us that we all lived in a, in a, in a house of cards and that's mm. collapsed. And, and it wasn't yes. like, you know, it's a couple of months, it's just been going on for a couple of years and it's not going to finish next week. And society has changed. It's, 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 it has changed. But as I said before, what, what's the new norm? Right. And I think one of the big things is in why it's important for all, all, all all of us in, in this sort of approaching energy NLP work is to realize that, that I think we have massive, we, we have a huge part, if, if I can say massive part to play in evolving this new resilience for people to be able to deal with what's coming along. Because if we can't carry on like we did. The old normal's no. not there anymore. What, what, what's going to happen? Um, we don't know. And, and, and we, before COVID, we always sit in our comfort zone because that's where it was safe and warm and it wasn't too, you know, every now and then we could sort of go out and touch a little, a little bit. bit. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, but we, we, we yep. had a comfort zone to go back to. Well, exactly. and, 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 and with that, we thought we were resilient, but we weren't because we're sitting in our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Well, that comfort zone shrunk down to, for lots of people, not even there anymore. Um, totally. What, 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 what do I do? Where, where, where do I go? What, what, what is it? And, and I think all of us as, as practitioners, the, the big thing is about, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to find it outside. It's inside, you know, it's inside here. And, and my work is not so much in, in our conscious, what, what can I do? How can I win? It's how can I help? Right. So whereas before, you know, um, and I've lived a long time with, with much more uncertainty than certainty and the quality of our life is a, is, is a level of uncertainty that we can deal with. And I think uncertainty is That's so been true. ramped up. It's been ramped up for so many people. And uncertainty is, it's, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow? You know, we, we get in the car and we drive home and we sort of get home and I don't even remember driving here. That's our comfort zone. Our, our mind has sort of got into the habits of just sort of you know, doing things unconsciously. And, and if we start to have to think all the time, it's really hard work. Physically, it's hard work. But it's also it's also scary. It's 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 worrying. What what's going to happen? And and you can't keep going outside and looking for the government to help you out, or looking for the company, the, the, the multi million dollar company that you work for, or Bill Gates to help you out. It's like you know, I have to help myself out. That's right. Uh, and I remember um, quite years ago, you know, you can't help other people until you help yourself first. You have mm -hmm. to be in the right place to then help other people. So I think as practitioners, I think that there's, there's one of the big keys is to, is to actually sort yourself out. Oh, my golly. Look after yourself. Become your own best friend. Fill your cup and have it overflowing. Absolutely. <laughs> That's when, you know, then Absolutely. we can you serve. Can't, we can't serve can't when give. our cup is. Exactly. You can't give. Your cup's only half full. Mm -hmm. Fill your cup up. And then the right. overflow, you will really start to have an impact on this. And I think. When you're when you're at that level of overflow, you are unconsciously your 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 body language unconsciously is coming through as being someone who's more powerful is the wrong word, more authentic. Yes, I was trying yeah. to think the right word. Authentic. That's a good. That authentic is a good word. I feel like there's another one there too that even at peace with with who you are you know that that sense of yep. knowing and just having that you know what i'm i'm good with who i am and knowing that you're always evolving always growing but that 
yes, all that stuff outside does not matter. And that's not the stuff that makes you happy. You, you talked earlier about all the rich people that you knew and no one was happy, right? Exactly. I mean, we can be happy with ourselves and who we are and have that cup overflowing, then that can make a huge, huge difference. What do you think yeah. for the Common. next, what would, what would you, what is your goal for, you know, now the immediate future, what, what impact do you want to, to make? With integral theory and spiral dynamics, there's a, there's, there's a the first tier as we, we evolve up the values level as we mature. And then there's a second tier. And that second tier is actually starting to be much more community orientated, mm. much more resilient, much more, much more capable of gaining from within ourselves, not looking for outside references, not looking for significance outside. But I'm happy with who I am. I am. The population of the world has to reach that tipping point where it becomes the norm. So what you and me are talking about is probably not going to sit with the, the, the guys in the high offices in New York or London. Right. Because they're still very exactly. much in the significance of the big cars, the big wages. But you know, that's what's destroying the world. Mm-hmm. So my goal is to my goal is to get enough people to reach that tipping point where what we're talking about isn't unusual. It isn't the it, it's the norm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think conver- conversations like these are very helpful, I think, and will at least at the bare minimum for people who maybe aren't quite there yet will be food for thought to maybe spark their interest to think, hmm, maybe there's something else here. Maybe there is something more. Maybe there is something different that I can do to impact and Absolutely. have a better ripple effect. And I think once, you know, once we accept and really actually know, then we have the power to be able to impact and, and change and influence people. Um, I wanted to just ask, I, I really appreciate this conversation. I think we could probably sit here for hours and hours, but I want to be mindful and respectful of your time as well. Is there anything else that came up for you while we were talking that you would like to share? Not without going into another half an hour. <laughs> well I love that and maybe some other time but I think that you know it's really important for for, you know for us to stay in contact with these with people like you and I to have these conversations and to engage with other people to have these conversations whereby you know before we kept all that stuff inside like you were saying even with the eastern versus the western culture you know we close that door it's time to open that door right Mm -hmm. to know our neighbors you know we think we're so disconnected we have social media it's not all that social i mean it's it has its its ups and its downs and its value but it really it really is precluding us from really participating in our life a lot of times but having said that i know that there is also a huge amazing community and and there's you know high vibe tribes that you can get involved with online that can help you to you know help with your internal journey that can help you to connect inside and if a lot of people may not have, you know, the support mechanism and the support people around them and that network in their physical world. So for that, it's yeah. really amazing. But, you know, really surround yourself with, with like-minded people, quality-minded. It's the peer group. It's the right? peer group. Get rid of, yeah, you know, like limit. I mean, we can't always get rid of the toxic and the negative people, but limit, you know, when you can have boundaries, right? Yeah. Limit your contact with them, the amount of time, the frequency, you know, and just really embrace all of who you are. So I think before we go, is there, if, if there's nothing else that you wanted to add, I have one final thing oh, to say. I, I was just okay. going to say the peer group, I think for me, the peer group is so important. And it's a lot easier. I, I have a, a couple of peer groups I'm on. I have, I had one this morning, actually. Um, three people from New Zealand, one from Australia, Singapore, Malaysia, India, uh, France and, and, and England. So I, I think the internet, for all its negative side, in, in Facebook and that, there's also some really positive sides. I can connect with people who are from quite different cultures talking about the same thing. And, yeah, I think, and, and the other thing I was going to say there was that we're all on a journey and we're all at different places. So mm-hmm. what I'm saying doesn't resonate, there might be something else or some other course that you're doing or, or somebody else that you talk to and it, it just connects with your your place where you are in your, in your journey and I think you know we're either learning or we're dying I think Tony Robbins says I, 
Oh my golly. You know what? I love that. I agree 100% with that. And, and I will always be learning until the day I die. There is absolutely no question about that. And I feel you're the same way. And that's, that is amazing. But you know, the, I, I just, before I ask my final question, I just wanted to just, I guess, recap, you know, the importance of that peer group and, and the high vibe finding those people. And we can't always get what we need on social media, but we can get a lot of stuff. But remember that, you know, that communication is really important and to, to set those boundaries. And when you can have those conversations with quality people face-to-face, then take them. You know, we, 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 we forget about that sometimes. So my final question for you today, John, is what makes you sparkle? What makes me sparkle? I think when I do coaching, with the type of coaching I do, I don't have an intention. I don't have an intended outcome. That's my particular technique. And what makes me sparkle is when the client actually can't say anything. They're just like, I don't know what to say. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> any final words before we go i think i should leave on that note i don't know what to say that was awesome i think that's pretty awesome thank you so much it's been a real pleasure getting to have this conversation getting to know you more sharing some of your experiences and some of your knowledge and this has been a really fabulous conversation thank you so much and i look forward to catching up with you again and collaborating in the future so that we can we can help make a difference in the world Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for having me on. We'll see you again. It's it's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. You're listening to CIOE 97.5 FM. And remember to go out and do something that makes you sparkle today and every day. Bye for now, friends.